this week, man, I just heard a, the most amazing sermon, and you get to hear it right now. We got Marco Monroy in the house. Come on up here, Marco. He's our campus pastor in Cancun, and I know that you always love him. What he's got, especially powerful sermon today. Uh, his wife Karina's here. Karina, glad that you're here with us too. So. Uh, I want you just to make him feel at home. His computer went on the glitch and all of his notes uh, are in Spanish today. But I didn't think that would be a problem for you guys. I told him I would interpret. He said, I've heard you interpret and I'm gonna do it in English, all right? So listen as Marco speaks to us. Thanks, Marco. <laughs> Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good? Well, I'm very excited to be here today. As Laura mentioned, this is not just the last Sunday of the year, it's the last Sunday of a decade. You know, and um, there is something very interesting that happens to us, psychologically speaking. You know, we all get this sense of a new beginning every time the year changes. You know, we know that January 1st is going to be just another day, but in our brains, we have this sense of new hope, new beginning, you know, and I think that it's the way that we should see it as our opportunity to, you know, start living life the, the, the way that God designed it to be. And, and that's just the thing, see, uh, this season we celebrated the fact that, um, God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us, you know, to live that perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. And when he died on that cross, what he did, he, he purchased life for us. But the Bible says to us that he purchased it for a reason, you know. He designed each one of us with a purpose that he designed for us even before, you know, we were born. And we're supposed to live for that purpose, and this is why Jesus died for you, so you could live for that purpose. But... Uh, sadly, you know, you can see how there's um, a huge amount of people out there in the world that are just living for themselves, that they have no idea that God has a purpose for them, so they're not living for it. But, and that's a tragedy, but you know what's the biggest tragedy? That even a lot of people that do know that, that understand that there is a purpose that God has for their lives, are not living it. And, and, and I have come to find out that uh, there is usually one main block, one thing that stops us, one thing that limits us or enslaves us, that does not allow us to live that life for God. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. See, today we're going to talk about one specific thing that you're going to have to identify. I can't identify it for you because we're all in a different place in our lives, in our journey. You know, depends on your circumstances or on, on, on things that the decisions you've made that have brought you to a specific point that you're going to have to find out exactly what it is for you. See, this doesn't even have to be a, a church thing. You know, it is sometimes something that is precluding you from living the spiritual life that you, you know, should be living. So it may be, you know, a habit that it's enslaving you or maybe a habit that you need to adopt in your life. You know, it may be um, a relationship that is toxic in your life and, and you need to finish that relationship or it might be a relationship that you need to restore in your life, that you need to forgive in that relationship so things will go back to the way they should be and encourage you to live the life that God decided for you to live. Maybe it's a debt, maybe it's a project that you need to start or finish. You know, maybe it's, it's a goal that you need to set. You know, um, I don't know if it's one of those things. You're gonna have to identify yours, okay? Now, you know, the, the, it makes me a little nervous when I preach about things like this and, and say, you identify these things and run for it because sometimes people just start running. 
you know, without first uh, going to the right place to ask for direction. See, the Bible says that where there's no vision, people get lost. And that word vision that it says in Proverbs, it means revelation from God. So we have to put ourselves in, in his hands right now and ask him to help us open our eyes today and be honest with ourselves to see what is it that we need you know, to, to do this coming year, this coming decade, to, to, to be able to uh, live exactly the life that he designed for us. So, so uh, let me pray for us, and then we're going to you know, uh, analyze this message that we call Your Great Work. Father, we, we thank you for your love. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, Father, to give his life so that we would have life. Uh, we, we would love to be able to live that life in full for you and for your glory. And I know, Father, that for each one of us here in these words, there is something that needs to change, that it needs, it needs to be either removed or, or, or implemented or adopted in our lives. And we just ask you, Father, that you will show it to us that you will give us the strength and the honesty and the humility to, to hear from you today so that we know what we have to do. And then we're going to study, Father, and help us understand how can we accomplish this. We place ourselves in your hands in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. In order for us to understand uh, this thing that I'm talking about, uh, we're going to study a passage in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, it's a, it's a small book in the Old Testament. If you've never read it, um, I, I would you know, suggest that you read it in full. This is a, a book that has inspired you know, millions of people you know, throughout history. And, and actually, see, we're going to come to a verse you know, uh, in the middle of the passage we're going to study. That it's a verse that has particularly inspired us you know, uh, w when we were about to start a campaign to build our building in Cancun, you know, this is uh, the, the verse that inspired us. We actually printed it and put it in a tiny monument that we have right in front of our church to remind everyone of the theme that inspired us to go build. I think we have a picture somewhere around there about this, this, this little monument, you know, with, with, with the verse. You, you can't understand it because it's in Spanish, but we will study it in a minute and you'll see Nehemiah 6.3 how it inspired us and it has inspired a lot of people throughout history to accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish, okay? So if you haven't um, read Nehemiah, I'm going to try to put it in context so we understand what we're reading here. See, Nehemiah uh, was working for the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, and um, he was the cup bearer. That means he's the guy that drinks the wine to make sure it's not poison, you know, for the king. Okay, and, and this was happening approximately in the year uh, 445 before Christ, okay? So uh, we don't know if Nehemiah had ever been to Jerusalem. If you read the story before, you know that uh, Nehemiah is the guy that goes back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, okay? But we don't know if he had ever been in Jerusalem. So this is happening approximately uh, 220 years after the people from uh, uh, Israel had returned to Jerusalem. If you remember the story, you know, Babylon uh, invades Jerusalem and they take captive most of the Jewish people and they leave a few of them behind. And they stay captive for 70 years in Babylon. And then Persia invades Babylon. And the new king, the king of Persia, decides to release the Jewish people. They, they tell them, if you want to go back home, go again. Go ahead and, and go back. Or if you want to stay, stay. Okay? Well, Nehemiah is clearly one of the descendants of the, of the people that stayed 
and he's working there for this king, okay? So some people come to visit Persia from Jerusalem, and, and Nehemiah is talking to one of his brothers, he says, and he asks him, so how's Jerusalem? How are you guys doing? And the guys say, we live in disgrace. The walls are still down. You know, they were completely, you know, knocked down. The, the, the gates were all burned, you know, so, so we just live in shame there. And Nehemiah just sits down and starts crying. You know, he starts feeling this weight on his heart that he needs to do something about it. God starts putting in his heart the fact that he needs to go back, you know, and, and rebuild these walls. And he says a very nice prayer in chapter 1. We're going to see a, a, a couple of passages in his prayer later on, okay? But then he decides that he's going to do something very risky. If you remember the stories about the kings of Persia from the book of Esther, you cannot just come to the king and start talking to him. The king has to talk to you first, okay? And he's decided that he's going to go and ask for permission to, to go back to Jerusalem. See, and, and you may not realize how risky this is. See, Nehemiah is not an employee of the king. He's a slave. Slaves don't ask for vacations because they have the bad habit of not coming back. You know, so, so he's going to go there, you know, and try to get the king to talk to him and ask him for some time off. So he walks into the room where the king is, and he clearly walks in with this face of suffering, you know. So the king realizes that something's wrong. He's like, hey, I've never seen you so sad. What's wrong with you? And, and Nehemiah says, well, how can I not be sad when the land where my ancestors are, are, are buried, it's completely destroyed and in shame? So, so, so the king says, so what is it that you want? And the Bible says that he stops, prays real fast, and then says, I like some time off. I want to go back and rebuild the walls. And clearly his prayer is answered because the king not only allows him to go back, he says, you know what, I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to give you all the resources that you may need to rebuild this wall. And I'm going to give you letters to let the people around that you are backed by the king. And actually, I'm going to make you the governor of Judea while you're there, but with one condition. You have to promise you're going to come back. So Nehemiah agrees to this, and then he goes to Jerusalem, okay? And when he gets there, he gets even sadder. You know, the, the, the Bible says that he has to go and review the wall at night. It's so dangerous to be around Jerusalem. All their, the nations around them have become their enemies, and they are raiding them. And, you know, they, they, every time they have a crop, they go and steal it, and they steal their woman and everything. So it, it's very dangerous to just be out there during the day. So he goes during the night. And when he sees the wall completely destroyed, he just starts whipping even more. And, and, and I realize that it is hard for us to understand today why is this so heavy on his heart, you know? Why does he head so sad, you know, because the wall is down? See, you have to understand that in those days, for a city to have a wall, it meant strength, it meant security, it meant economic stability, see? But these people that live there, just realize they have been there for 220 years without a wall. That means that all the people that were living there in that generation, they have never seen Jerusalem as a strong city. They, they, they don't have any sense of national pride of, you know, God with us and we are the chosen ones. But they've been bullied and robbed by all the people around them. So Nehemiah in that moment realizes one thing. He thinks, if I only do one thing while I'm here is... I'm going to rebuild this wall. This is my priority. Realize that there's a ton of things that he needed to do. If he wanted Jerusalem to go back to where it was, he needed to stabilize the economy. He needed to assign leadership positions to certain people to run certain things, maybe build an army. But he knows priority number one is the wall. 
If I don't build this wall, nothing else will work. Because the moment we start doing something, they're going to attack us and there's no defense. Everything depends on the wall, okay? So he gathers all the people of Jerusalem and he gives them this leadership speech. You know, he was like, all right, people, we're going to rebuild this wall and we're going to do it together. We can do it. He's a brilliant leader. So he tells them, here's the problem. Here's how we can solve the problem. These are the reasons why we have to start working right now. Are you with me? Are you with me? And everybody, yeah. He pumps them all completely and they begin the work, okay? Now, the moment they start rebuilding the walls, the people around them, you know, the nations around them, they immediately go like, uh-oh, there goes our free lunch. You know, because they, every time they had a crop, they just went and stole it and stole their woman and stuff. So there's like, that our economy is going to suffer if we allow them. If they rebuild this wall, you know, soon they're going to, you know, also form a, an army. They are going to become an, a, a, power, a powerful city again. And we need to stop them, okay? So, so the leader of this group is a guy called Sanballat, okay? So he starts making plans to stop them from rebuilding the wall. And just to show you where the heart of the people of Israel is at the moment, you know what's the first strategy that he picks? They just go right next to the wall and start making fun of them. They just start laughing at them. They go there and it's like, yeah, right, you're going to build a wall. Even if a fox jumps on top of that wall, the wall's going to collapse. You guys are useless. And they're expecting it to work, which means these people were so demoralized that even if they had tried to do that in the past, just making fun of them worked. Maybe you can relate to that. Have you ever been in such a low place in your life that your self-value, your self-worth is so tiny that one day you decide that you're going to start doing something for yourself and you start climbing and you say to people, I'm going to try and do this, and all they have to do is laugh. It's like you? Yeah, right. And just because of that, you give up? Well, that's where they're at. Yeah? But thanks to God, Nehemiah is not in that place. He's coming from a, a, the strongest city in the world at the moment, Susa, you know, the capital of, of Persia. You know, that's the most powerful nation at the moment. So he's not going to be easy to discourage. So he's like, no, 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 we're going to start working. We're going to work without rest, okay? So Sambalat thinks, okay, we need to think of something else. So he plans to attack them. And, and it's, it's clear, if you read the Bible, that there was some sort of a spy in the group of Sambalat because every time he plans to do something to the people of Jerusalem, somebody goes and tells Nehemiah. So he goes and tells him, they're going to attack you. They're going to get you know, weapons ready and bring a small army and they're going to attack you. So Nehemiah immediately prepares for that. He says, okay, everyone, instead of sleeping outside of the city, everyone inside Jerusalem, and he gives spears to half of the workers and the other half are working while the other ones are with the spears. He says that he and all the leaders that are doing this work are working with the sword in their hand. So they're working, you know, with the sword in their hand. It says that they didn't even take off their clothes, not even to shower. They must have stunk after a few days, but they were like showering with their clothes on, with the sword in the hand. So, so those guys come back to, to attack, and when they see that they're all armed, they decide that they can't do it, okay? So the wall keeps being rebuilt and rebuilt and rebuilt, and gets to the point where the only thing missing in the walls are the gates, they just need to set the gates, okay? So Sambalat comes up with another strategy. He says, okay, we need to distract this guy. We need to pull him away from the wall. And when he's away from his people, we need to kill him. Because if we kill Nehemiah, surely the rest of the people are going to be discouraged and then we're going to be able to knock down the wall again. So it is within the context of this next passage that we're going to come to this verse. 
And, and I want you to, 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 to pay close attention to what's going to happen here because that verse has changed the lives of a lot of people. Okay, first we're going to read Nehemiah uh, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It'll explain what's about to happen. It says, Now, when it was reported to Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and to the rest of our enemies that I had built the wall and that there was no gap left in it, though up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. See, there is no gap on the wall anymore. You know, there are no vulnerable points. All they have to do is set the gates. But if Sambalat knows, they set the gates and this is game over. Okay, so Sambalat sends this message. And I want you to try to imagine the messenger coming to the wall, you know, and, and Nehemiah is up in the wall, maybe in the ladder, and the guy starts shaking the, the ladder, says like, hey, come down from the wall. We need to talk to you. Sambalat wants to have a cup of coffee with you. Let's go to Starbucks Jerusalem and have a, have a chat, you know. We, we need to talk to you. Come, come on down, okay? And, and this is the answer that Nehemiah gives this guy. And, and I would pray that this verse is going to be recorded on your heart forever because this is the verse that changes lives. It changed ours and it can change yours. Listen to this, Nehemiah 6.3. It says, So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work. I have to finish this wall and I cannot come down. You know, there is this thing that is stopping you in your life to live life for God the way you're supposed to. And you need to tell yourself, I'm going to focus on this and I am doing a great work and I'm not coming down. Why should I? He says, why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? You know, it's like, what, how is getting down from this wall going to help me live life for God the way it's supposed to? So there is something in your life. There is a wall in your world that you need to rebuild. You need to climb up on that wall, and you should not come down until you finish. Okay? You need to repeat with Nehemiah, with your family, with your friends, I am doing a great work, and I'm not coming down. There's no reason to distract myself from this. Okay? Now, I want you to understand something. This did not discourage Sambalat from continuing to try to distract him. Actually, if you read verse 4, it's going to show on the screen. It says, they sent uh, to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So they're not going to be discouraged. And you know who the Sambalats are in your life. They'll be like, oh, come on, don't go to work tomorrow. Oh, don't, don't start that project. No, come on, you're going to get on a diet again. No, just don't, no, man, let's just have a drink. Every time I am doing a great work, and I'm not coming down. And, and, and this is the part when, when, where this is particularly important to you. You know what would have happened if Nehemiah had listened to those guys, gone down the wall, and met with Sambalat? They would have killed him. Surely the people were going to be demotivated, and the walls were going to be knocked down again. And this is how this relates to your life. And this is so important. I put it as a point in your program. It says... There are things in your life that if you don't deal with them, they have the potential to destroy it. There are things in your life, there are things in my life, that if we don't deal with them, they can destroy our lives. See, this may be a relational situation. You know, there are things in your life that if you don't deal with them, they might destroy your marriage. They might destroy your relationship with your kids or your grandkids. 
This may be a, a financial issue. You're ignoring the gap on the wall where, where, where water is coming in and it's going to drown you if you continue to ignore it. It may be your health, something physical, that you keep closing your eyes to the fact that if you don't change something, this might kill you. See, these are things that you have decided to ignore, like the people of Israel. They have been there for 220 years without walls. And, and, and these people kept being Jewish. They kept studying the scriptures. They kept praying to God, but they would not rebuild the wall. How are they going to fulfill the purpose as a city if they don't rebuild that wall? And the same thing happens to us. We can continue coming back to church and praying and reading the Bible, but if, if you don't climb up on that wall and stay there until you finish, how are you going to fulfill the purpose for God? And this has to go to every area of your life. You have to see it, you know, how wide and important this is. See, like, if you're a parent, I don't know if you do this. I, I used to do it when my kids were little. I would go into the room at night and pray over them where they were asleep. You know, like, if you have kids that are little, go there and pray over them and, and look at them and think, I am doing a great work. And I'm not coming down. I can't come down. I can't allow myself to be distracted from building your life the way it should be. If you have teenager you know, kids, you're not going to be able to go at night to pray over them because they go to sleep later than you do. You know, but, but you can go early in the morning or sound asleep and then you can pray for them. You know? uh, if you're married, you realize that your marriage is a great work and you cannot come down. You, you have to look at your wife and pray for her. Look at your husband and pray for them and say, I am doing a great work and I'm not coming down. If you're a student, you know, especially if you're a student, you know the Sambalats in your life. You know the people that are trying to discourage you and distract you from doing the life that you know God wants you to live. So this is going to be like, uh, the challenge for, for, for this year. You know, what is your wall? What, what is this thing? Are you willing to climb up that wall and stay there? until you finish. See, you have to understand also that just the fact that Nehemiah did not allow himself to be distracted didn't mean that Sambalat stopped trying to do other things. They started thinking of other stuff. So the next thing they tried was to start rumors. They started a rumor saying, oh, we all know that you're trying to rebuild the wall to, to build an army and rebel against Artaxerxes and he's going to find out, he's going to come and kill. Why don't we just go now and tell him that it's not true? And his answer was always the same. I don't believe you. I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. So then they send someone that he says he thought he was a friend. And the friend tells him, I've heard that they are sending assassins to kill you. Go with me. Let's go hide in the temple. They will not dare go into the temple. We can hide there. He says, I don't believe it. I'm not afraid of them. I am doing a great work and I'm not coming down. He did not allow anything to distract him. And look at what happened. Verse 15 says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. The walls had been down for 220 years. And these men focused completely on the task, rebuilding in 52 days. And, and, and this is truly important. See, I want you to notice, read the book. You're going to realize something very important. There's not a single miracle in this book. That means there's nothing supernatural about it. You know, angels don't show up and help. You know, some people say, like, well, yeah, I always see in the Bible that angels come and help. And they, no, no one came. He was just a man that was focused. But when he finished his work, 
Everyone knew who was behind it. Nehemiah 6.16 says, And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. It is clear to everyone God did this, even though there were no miracles. So it was just a great leader that made a decision to follow the call of God, focusing completely on the task. Now, I realized that I could have ended this message right here. I said, you all get it? Understand it? Yeah, all right, let's pray. But you will walk out too easy. So uh, I want you to understand exactly the process that uh, Nehemiah went through in order to accomplish this, okay? So uh, what does it take to finish our great work? That's the, what your program says. What does it really take in order for me to be able to do this, okay? The first thing that they did, we can see in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. These verses are going to show on the screen. What happens when he asked the brother that came from Jerusalem, he asked him, so how are things in Jerusalem? This is the answer. They replied, the survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. You realize what they're doing? Number one, acknowledge the situation. The first thing that you have to do is be honest with yourself and recognize the ruin, the destruction, and the shame that not having that wall built is causing in your life. As I said, it, it may be a, a bad habit. Maybe you're one of those persons that is trying to control the world around you and you're trying to control to such an extent you're suffocating everyone around you and causing them to be afraid of you instead of loving you. you know, maybe it's a bad habit like drinking. Maybe you drink too much. You know, if you drink too much, chances are people have told you that you drink too much or they are afraid to tell you. Or they told you but you don't remember because you drink too much, okay? So maybe it's drugs, legal or illegal. Maybe you're addicted to porn, not realizing you're destroying your ability to have a real relationship with another human being. Maybe it's you're living a lifestyle that you cannot even afford, but you're closing your eyes to that. Maybe you're just lazy. You love to procrastinate and one day I'm gonna start. Okay, look, you can do many things this next decade. But you have to start with the wall. Everything else depends on the wall. This is your great work and you need to focus on it. Maybe it's a project that you need to start or, or to finish. Because God placed it in your heart and you know you have to do it. You, maybe you have to finish school. Maybe, I don't know, you have to do this project, start this business or start this ministry. Or join this ministry that God has placed in your heart more than once. Maybe you finally have to open a space of time in your life so that you can study the Word of God and get to know Him really well and be discipled, truly become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's really a relationship that is crucial in your life. Maybe your marriage is not as good as you've been pretending it is. And deep in your heart, you know that something is wrong. And, and if you don't do something about it, it's going to destroy it. And maybe it's that relationship that you know it's wrong and you need to finish with it you need the strength to do this I hope that uh, you don't spend another year pretending with your eyes closed the other way around you have to say I am doing a great work and I cannot calm down it doesn't matter who's at fault what got you there the, 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 the reality is all you need to do is 
I need to acknowledge where I am right now. And that's the first step. Okay? The second thing they do, see, uh, we're going to see parts of his prayer now. Nehemiah 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both I and my family have sinned. We have offended you deeply, failing to keep the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances that you commanded your servant Moses. See, the second thing that he does is confess his rebellion. You have to confess your rebellion. What is the source of your problem? See, Nehemiah knows exactly why they're there. The question is, do you? Do you know why you're there? Do you know what needs to be done? You, you know what's very ironic? You know why we uh, try to hide from God? Which, by the way, is impossible. And it's like playing hide and seek with your kid and he's sitting in the middle of the living room, you know, with his eyes closed. That, that's us hiding from God. But you know why we try to hide from God? Because if we go to him, we already know what he's going to say. And that's why we, we don't go. It, it, it's, it's something that happens to me constantly when I do counseling. It's very funny. Because I talk to people, and they ask me a question, and I tell them what they need to hear, and they say, I already knew you were going to say that. Then why you waste my time? You know, just go do it, you know? It's like, why are you hiding from God? You know, you know what he's going to say, then do it, okay? So uh, you need to confess. You need to recognize where you're at and recognize your part on this. He says, I recognize I sinned. That's why I'm here, okay? Now, the second thing, uh, he continues in the prayer in verse 11. He says, Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. See, he's praying that prayer before he goes to talk to the king. He says, Father, Please go ahead and touch the heart of this person. This is what needs to be happening here in order for me to be able to do it. And I can't do this. Only you can. So what is he doing? Number three, putting himself in God's hands. You have to put yourself in God's hand and say, Lord, I, I, I can hear the call. You know, I can feel the weight. I know I've made a mess of my life. I want to get out of there, but now I need you to help me. Open these doors, you know, do whatever it takes, whatever it's needed that I can't control so that I can go ahead and do it. See, the purpose that God has for you, for your life, is something that it's so huge that there's no way you can do it on your own. You know, if you can do it on your own, then it doesn't come from God. It has to be something that scares you like it scared Nehemiah. This is why if you read it, you're going to see he comes and he's already prayed. But when the king says, all right, what do you want? He stops to pray again because he's afraid. But he still goes and does it. He places himself in God's hands, and then he moves forward. And last, our verse again, verse 3, Nehemiah 6, 3, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. The wall was finished in 52 days. What did he do? Number four, focus totally in your great work. You know, the moment that you start quoting this verse in your heart, you have already placed yourself in the hands of God. You recognize, you know, the messes that you've made, but now you're asking him to let you do it and he will open the doors. You know, I can, I can tell you of moments during the campaign, you know, our campaign lasted three years and there were times, you know, when I truly thought there's no way we're, we're going to be able to finish this. 
I used to um, exercise with my bicycle right to the, to the church land and pray. You know, and there was a moment I remember clearly in my life, you know, when, when it, it wasn't moving anymore. We didn't have any more money. And I got to the, to the land and I was like, all right, just keep your land. You know, if you don't want us to build it, it you know, there it is. And God's like, that's the problem. You think you have to build it. Put it on my hands. Stop getting distracted. Trust me. And these verses would come to my head. I am doing a great work and I'm not coming down. This is going to be your Nehemiah challenge for this decade. What is your wall? What do you need to rebuild or what do you need to destroy in your life? See, in a few minutes, you're going to walk out those doors or you're going to turn off your device if you're watching online. And you need to be aware of this. Nothing out there has changed. Your family situation is still the same. You don't have more money. You, you may have the same amount of debt. You don't have more time. You don't have less responsibility. Nothing out there changed. My prayer is that something inside of you changed. That you realize that as impossible as this task seems, holding on to God, you know, asking Him for direction, asking Him to open the doors and focusing on what He places in your heart, there is absolutely nothing you cannot accomplish. Let yourself go into this challenge holding on to God's hand and you are going to be a changed person. I am doing a great work and I cannot Let's pray. Father, um, I just thank you so much that your word tells us that you have a plan for each one of us. That you have a purpose to influence this world for your kingdom, to make your name shine and be left up high. We don't feel deserving or capable. But we know that it's not us that have to do it, and we thank you for that, that it's not in our power but in yours. I want to pray for every person that is hearing my voice, Father, that you will have mercy on our hearts, that your Spirit will speak clearly to us and show us exactly the wall that we need to rebuild. And that you will give us the strength, the humility to go to you and recognize, and then the fox. Because we are going to do this great work. Don't let us come down. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.